Hello, folks. This is Pastor Aaron Shepard, and you're listening to Sermons by the Park. I've been away for the last couple of weeks, but while I was gone, our director of music ministries, James Myers, shared a wonderful message that I wanted to share with you. Here's this week's message. And the first scripture today is from Psalm 102. Verses 14 to 18. You cause the grass to grow for the cattle and plants for people to use, to bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the human heart, oil to make the face shine, and bread to strengthen the human heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, in them the birds build their nests, the stork has its home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the hyrax. May God add a blessing to the reading of this gospel. Our second reading and the gospel today is from Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a spirit. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. I remember giving a homily a year ago after we got back from a trip to Cyprus when we walked in the the trail of St. Paul. And uh, guess where we went this time? And I've had a few people ask me, why Lebanon? (laughs) Uh, In fact, I think one or two of you even asked me that. So I would answer simply that I'm obsessed with the Mediterranean. We've traveled in all countries that surround the Mediterranean except Egypt, Libya, and Algeria, and Israel. We haven't been to those four, but all the rest we visited. Oh, and Morocco is next year. Um, our picture of Lebanon tends to be tainted pretty severely by the Civil War of 1975 to 1990. And I remember growing up in that time, and all we heard was horrible things everybody was doing to each other. It was hard to find who was right, who was wrong. It was just a complete mess, ethnic, religious, national. 
But I don't know if you followed the news in the last 20 years there, but things have changed quite a bit, in some ways for the better, a lot of ways for the better. There, there isn't war anymore. In fact, Lebanon is viewed as one of the most stable, more democratic-leaning Middle Eastern nations. It suffers from severe corruption and economic woes, which we experienced firsthand as we were handed stacks of money. So I had to keep track of these huge stacks of Lebanese currency because not everyone, we were traveling with euros and not everyone would take euros. They would take dollars usually, but so we need to be ready for lots of different currencies and it fluctuated every day. And by the way, nobody took credit cards, no cards of any kind, which was a complete shock to us because we're used to using these debit cards and credit cards for everything. But their system, there's so many gigantic bank fees. I mean, we pay what, three, four percent or something, but they're paying 12, 15 percent for credit cards because it's so unstable. So for our experience there, that was probably the greatest negative was the scariness of the economic situation. A little bit of background. Lebanon has a population of six million, and of those, about two million are Syrian refugees. So think about that. One third of your population are refugees, political and economic, from another country. Lebanon is about 4,000 square miles, so a little bit smaller than Connecticut. It has perhaps one of the more LGBTQ plus friendly environments in the Levant, uh, Israel as well, and uh, there are a few other places, but uh, we have to tread carefully, even when we're discreet in some of these countries, who will not only throw us in prison, but might even uh, chop off our heads. So uh, luckily Lebanon, was a contender because it is more socially open generally. Part of that is because they got over their civil war and people are living relatively peacefully together. Now to give you an idea, these are the religions present that have representation in their parliament and at houses of worship throughout the country. Primary is Islam, Sunni, Shia, and Alawites, all three. In Christianity, we have the Maronites, Orthodox, Greek Catholic, Armenian Apostolic, and a few Protestants. I don't know how the Protestants got in there, but. <laughs> we have a significant percentage of Druze who broke away from Islam long ago, and some that are Jewish as well. So this is pretty substantial. When you think about a nation smaller than Connecticut having this many faith centers. No wonder they've had conflict in the past. Has anyone here ever been to Lebanon or read about Lebanon? Okay, on one hand. When I asked that question when we did our Greek program last April, a lot of hands went up. But So a little bit of background, because you know me, I, I'm a nerd when it comes to history and archeology. span So, uh, and some of these schools pay me to go do this stuff. So it's great fun, but I'm gonna share with you some of the cultures that have dominated Lebanon through the eras. The first, which is from the Bible, are the Canaanites. I'm sure you're all familiar with them. And around the second millennium BC, the Karawun people who were coming from the Canaanites. Following them are perhaps 
the ones with the greatest contribution to the culture of Lebanon to this day, the Phoenicians. Are you familiar with the Phoenicians? They were great merchants, sailors. They had colonies all over. They made their headquarters at one point in Carthage and the eventual Roman Empire attacked there. So the Phoenicians were the superpower of that time. Um, and then came Alexander the Great, 332 BC, the famous attack on Tyre, which is a city in Lebanon. And it came under Macedonian control, followed by the Seleucid Empire, followed closely in 64 BC by the Romans. And of course, the Romans, everywhere you go in Lebanon, you can find tremendous ruins, temples, and I'll share a little bit about that in a moment. Following the collapse of the Romans came the Sassanid Persians in the seventh century. And by the eighth century, the Arabs, the Muslim Arabs had conquered Lebanon. Then came the great Umayyad Caliphate in the ninth, 10th century, and the Umayyads had great centers of culture, art, literature, commerce, and we visited a, a UNESCO site uh, that is now in, in ruin, but you can still see the arches, the remains of those mosques and things from that time. Then came the Crusaders, because the European Christians, uh, they had a lot of issues. So they came over, and for uh, better or for worse, created uh, city-states, mostly along the coast. And tremendous castles, fortresses that are still there. Then you may remember, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Kingdom of Heaven with Saladin, who conquered Jerusalem and slowly took everything away from the Crusaders who left. And then the Mamluks from Egypt came and they conquered Lebanon. The next were the Ottoman Turks for hundreds of years until World War One. Do you know who came next? The French because after World War I, the Western powers carved everything up and created those boundaries. You look at a map of Iraq and Jordan, those were all created, they're kind of artificial boundaries between Britain and France and the others. And Lebanon finally got its independence from France in 1943, in the middle of the Second World War. That's quite a history. You think about that, some 4,000 years of people coming and going contributing to your culture, language, religion, and so forth. I have a book here that I made, one of these lovely Google photo books. You're free to have a look, if you wish. Uh, on the front, you know, that's Justin and I, and this is our guide. Her name is Nasab. She was one of the best parts of this journey. She was no nonsense. She spoke Arabic, French, and English fluently. And she didn't mess around. So whenever there was a little bit of a problem, she got right in there. She was the perfect guide for us. She didn't know all the facts and figures about every site, but she knew how to go through checkpoints, how to navigate the different languages and uh, neighborhoods. Um, one of the first points she made when we were exiting the airport on arrival was don't look for the next 15 minutes. That's funny when a guide tells you that. Please don't look out the car. <laughs> because right outside the airport are the settlements of Palestinians who have fled from various countries and their families, generations. And it took more than 15 minutes, but we saw truly abject poverty and uh, conditions that I cannot describe. I'm sure you can imagine 
Um, and so for her as a guide, both feeling empathetic and sorrowful, as well as, you know, how do you entice people to visit your country when this is the first thing that they experience, is the horror of, of human suffering. Nonetheless, she was honest about some of these things. But we were taken to the far east of the country, only about a half an hour from the Syrian border in the Beka Valley, this beautiful winery called Domaine de Shushen. And it's a little bit of paradise, just walled in, and beautiful gardens, waterfalls, flowers. Uh, the mules were incredible. In fact, there's a picture in here. <laughs> Not sure you can see, but, well, it's a little small. But this is, this is our first dinner at the uh, winery. And it was incredible, the amount of food, the quality of food, everything fresh. The servers, there was a different young guy who served in, in full white uniform, white gloves, old style. There was the breakfast guy, the lunch guy, and the dinner, the dinner guy. They were all wonderful. Um, we did go out to explore the town, and some of the other visitors were reluctant to do that because once you leave the walls, you're no longer in the secure area, if you will. But our town, we checked, was perfectly safe. Uh, we got some looks, but nobody was aggressive. So here we are, two white American tourists wandering down the uh, busy streets of this town and um, just, just seeing what's out there, you know. And we found a couple of monuments. We went to the large mosque, and one of the imams came out and greeted us. He said, Salaamu Alaikum. And I said, Wa Alaikum Asalaam. That was really cool. And he was smiling and, and very warm. Then I wanted to go up to see Baalbek. Baalbek is one of the famous UNESCO sites. It's one of the best preserved Roman temples in the world outside of Italy. It's also one of the largest. I can find a proper picture. Oh yeah, here, here's one some black and white. This is the temple over here. It's in the far northeast of Lebanon, but to get there you have to cross through Hezbollah territory. And Hezbollah is one of, as you may know, one of the many religious political entities within Lebanon, and after the war they were able to carve out their own interests. We were a little nervous about that. As you approach Hezbollah territory, you have the big signs with the um, clerics from Iran looking very angrily at you, <laughs> um, signs that are anti-Western. Uh, you see very conservative dress, certainly. Of course, we're safe in, in her Jeep, uh, but we come to the first checkpoint, and I got a little nervous, I have to say, uh, though I've been at checkpoints before. Uh, we're not any threat by any means, but you know how it is. And so she opens the window, and they greet, and I mean, we've got a machine gun, right? So uh, I'm in the back seat, Justin's in the front. He immediately sees that we're Western tourists, and so we ask where we're from, and she says they're Americans. He says, let's see the passports. I hand the passport over. He checked, he says, great, welcome, come on. No problem. I was expecting a problem. I asked Nassab, and she said, it's a lot of talk, sort of like, uh, the, the bark is worse than the bite because they love American dollars coming in. So of all the tourists, they actually enjoy having Americans because we tend to be polite and we tend to bring cash. <laughs> so after that, at the checkpoints, I didn't care how angry that cleric looked. 
The, the guards, they were, they were very welcoming, despite the machine guns. I asked Nassab if it were safe to go into a restaurant. She said, well, I'm not sure we want to do that. You'll get stared at a lot, but nobody would bother you. She said, and if anyone causes a problem, she said, I will mess them up. <laughs> and she wasn't kidding. She is cool. Anyway, the, the temple was extraordinary. Just, you know, there, there are pictures in here. I, just huge columns, the detail. It's unlike most Roman ruins I've seen. Plus, the biggest temple is to Bacchus, the god of wine, which I kind of like. <laughs> so a lot of the frescoes and the um, mosaics are about parties and festivity and enjoying life. So that was, that was that place, and I could kind of feel it, you know? And then one of the very ancient guides came he was Arabic, and he, was, he knew the kinds of details, you know, what they represented, who likely carved them, and of course, for me, that was fascinating. It's far beyond what I'm reading online. And so, he, he now he only spoke Arabic, so they spoke in Arabic, then she translated into English for us. So we had two guides through the temple, which is really nice. After that, we headed to Anyar, to the Umayyad, caliphate center to see the beautiful remnants of that cultural place and there were only three other people in the whole site it felt like we had it all to ourselves and of course lebanon is well known for its wine because remember this long list of people that came and went there they all brought grapes <laughs> and uh they make some money regionally with Lebanese wine, which can be quite good, actually. So we went to a, a vineyard that she liked. Oh, La Turba was the name. Right by a lake, surrounded by mountains, beautiful vineyards, and the sun was starting to go down when we were there. It's just beautiful. And the man in charge was from Greece, and he spoke five languages. And he came out, sat with us, and we enjoyed wine and talked about the world as the sun went down, looking out over this this lake was really beautiful. Then we had to head back to the town we were staying in and go through a couple checkpoints. Now, these guys weren't quite as friendly as Hezbollah had been. I don't know what group they were with, but they seemed annoyed that we were coming by at 9 o'clock at night. But nobody shot us, so that was good. <laughs> After that was Biblos. Biblos is perhaps one of the oldest uh, continuously occupied settlements in in that part of the world in europe or the near east it's a unesco site and perhaps it's the most tourist friendly because it's compact you can walk everywhere and it has fascinating souks covered in flowers and right on the mediterranean we went to a beautiful restaurant open air and i discovered shisha anybody know what or how about hookah you know what hookah is yes I discovered shisha. I'd never tried it before. It was quite lovely. <laughs> and they had all these different flavors, and it was so smooth. And I felt very naughty. <laughs> but then, as we're enjoying, uh, and, and the waiters, they just ask, you know, so you've ordered this, this. Uh, do you wish uh, to have shisha? Do you want any wine? So, yes, please. OK. Um, anyway, a, a very straight-laced British family walked in, man, wife, and two daughters, ages I don't know, seven and nine maybe. The older daughter looked at us as we were 
puffing away on our hookahs, and she said, Mummy, that man is smoking. <laughs> and mom was a little bit more enlightened, said, well, it's water vapor. It's not going to bother you. And, sh and she said, Mommy, did you take us to a smoking cafe? <laughs> so I took a big uh, hit of the shisha and blew it right to the little girl. <laughs> she stopped bothering me then. The Crusader Cathedral in Biblos is one of the most beautiful, intact cathedrals from that time. It was built in the 1100s, and it's still standing despite various conflicts, almost fully intact. So you think about that. You know, Crusader Christians built this on a hill a, a thousand years ago. It's absolutely incredible. We went to Batroun, which is also more touristy. That's where a lot of uh, expats from the West have settled, also on the Mediterranean, a little bit more trendy, a few more clubs. And of course, Nassab, she was all about nightlife. I'm not that much in the nightlife anymore. I used to be, but I don't know. I get tired at eight. <laughs> so I'll psych myself up. Uh, Justin, he can, he's a night owl, so he can stay up till one or two, but I'm just like, oh my God. But if there was shisha, I seemed to do better. So. We, we went to various restaurants and little clubs and things, and I would love to go back there, actually, during the daytime. Finally, was Beirut. And I, I hesitate to what I can say about Beirut in that that city has suffered so much through its existence, first of all. You sense that when you're there. The main center... Um, has the Muhammad al-Amin Grand Mosque. It's the tallest mosque in Lebanon. Next to it is the St. George Maronite Cathedral. And next to that is the St. Elias Melkite Greek Catholic Cathedral. So think of this, three essentially gigantic cathedrals right next to each other of different faiths, but they get along. And in the middle of it all, a Ro Roman forum and it's just sitting there, nobody bothers with it. It's just that, this 2,000 year old forum is just in the midst of it, it's fascinating. We went up to the mosque and we had dressed conservatively uh, knowing we might enter and we asked the attendant and he said, well wait just 10 minutes, they're finishing prayers and then you can go in. Not every country lets you do that. So that was lovely, beautiful inside. We went to Martyr Square down the street which was it's, a, it's in here, it's a big statue, very dramatic and a little scary. And that's to, in memory of the victims, uh, I believe in the 1830s, who, were, who died under Ottoman rule, Turkish Ottoman rule. However, that statue now stands for their independence movement against France and their survival in the Civil War. It's riddled with bullet holes. Parts of it were blown up. It sits right in the middle of Beirut. And I, we had a hard time leaving that monument, and there was no one else there. But to think it survived all these conflicts. And as we walked around, every entrance into the center, there were barricades and guards with machine guns. Dressed well, with a smile, but they have to make sure that no one's gonna bother the parliament or other political institutions there 
And we went up and asked them if it was okay to walk in. And they said, of course, yes, let me just check your backpack, but that's fine. So there's still tension. You can't just walk freely. Then the next thing was the tremendous sadness of the Syrian refugees who are there. You're walking down a sidewalk with empty storefronts and these children just run up and pull at your shirt and they're, they're just begging for money everywhere you turn. Sometimes a, a father or a mother is with them as well. Sometimes they speak a little French, but it's the saddest thing. And when we're with the guides, they get very aggressive. You even saw people push, pushing them away. And in our faith, Jesus taught us to care for those in need, to love each other. It's very difficult to know what to do in that situation because if you give to a child on that street 30 more, plus their parents will converge on you. I'm not kidding. And so I was torn thinking about our Lord Jesus, thinking that he had walked in the towns of Lebanon and had cared for people long ago. And here we are right in front of us with some of the most suffering on the planet and we are doing next to nothing. There are people and agencies there that are trying to help certainly, but that is a really tough situation. And because of the animosity by the Lebanese population against the Syrian refugees, there's even more tension there. Remember, Syria invaded northern Lebanon in their civil war and occupied and massacred a lot of Lebanese. So there's still, you know, although we understand these refugees may have nothing to do with that conflict in 1980, still they hold, they, they don't forget. And so as a tourist in a country like this, where there is peace, but clearly has been great strife and still anger, what do you do? What do you do as a Christian in this situation? Try to be loving to all, yes, but I can't say this one's right and this one's wrong. They're all right as far as I can see. The other thing that I noticed was how empty those center streets of Beirut were. There were tourists, but it was, it's a city of two and a half million, and yet most of the population is far away from these, these, the center. That's where more of the tourists like us go. The other great tragedy, which I'm sure you all remember in, on August 4th, 2020, was the port explosion in Beirut. This was a result of the corruption, mismanagement, and greed of the government. And I won't get into all the details, but the bottom line is it killed 218 people, injured 7,000, and left 300,000 people homeless. Then $15 billion in property damage. Nassab, our guide, lost friends in that explosion. It impacted everyone in Beirut. Sadly, because the government's very touchy about its responsibility, they haven't erected a proper monument. There are some informal ones that were put up by citizens. Sometimes they're taken down. No one goes to prison for the crimes because there's so many complicit in it and there's so many victims. And so there's, again, there's a gaping hole in the soul of this city. 
I did enjoy the small restaurants under trees, gardens, uh, you know, Muslim style, the, the hospitality, the prices were very low. Um, and I did feel safe walking around. It wasn't like somebody was going to get us. But I don't think I need to visit Beirut again. It's probably one of the saddest cities I've seen in the Mediterranean. It's important to know that not every place is going to look like the south of Spain, certainly. A lot of people face challenges that we can barely imagine. We all have our challenges and struggles, but some folks on those streets, I, I don't know. So after Beirut, well, actually near the end of our time there, I was woken up to the most beautiful sound. It's about three or four in the morning. Now, not everyone wants to be woken up there, but remember, I usually am up at five or 5.30 anyway. And it was the call to prayer from the Grand Mosque. And as it called, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, it was an outpouring of true praise to our God. And then sometime later, I heard bells being rung on the hour from the Maronite Cathedral. And so that gave me a, a little comfort. It went on, first the mosque for about five, six minutes, and then the cathedral for about five, six minutes, thinking about our Lord, that God is here, even if we are seeing all this suffering. Many great writers have said, in the eyes of these people, you see Christ. And so we continue to remember all of them in prayer. And I hope that the spirit of our God will intervene soon beyond just peace and cooperation, but to uplift and nourish those that are there. So if you'd like to take a look at some pretty pictures, Feel free, it's all in here. We're still chatting with Nasab on WhatsApp and we would love to visit with her when we're out that way next, next spring. And I highly recommend her, should you ever wish to venture into the Near East or Turkey. She's a marvelous guide, one of the best I've ever had and I've traveled in 60 countries. Again, you're not going to get a bunch of dates and facts and figures, but just to get around without worry, especially when you're facing machine guns, it's nice to have someone like that. Thank you all so much. And I do encourage a visit to Lebanon and the Near East as well. It's a beautiful place. Great wine. <laughs>